You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Crazy, crazy. Um, things have gotten weird, like, really fast. Again, I feel like that's a common theme of, like, every day of the past couple of years, things are just getting noticeably weirder. But when, when here outside of Milwaukee, when gas hit $4, um, I stepped out and I immediately went to the haven for all things good. I went to Costco and the Costco line for gas was so long, they were telling people they needed to leave because it was blocking access to the parking lot. So I immediately pulled out some petty cash that, and, and let, me, let, let, let me talk to you about like a mother's intuition. So I was, I was home in Virginia. Uh, I stayed with my family while attending uh, Zed's wedding, you know, Zed from the Degenerate Panel. And my mom, I, I feel like I'm I'm too old to take cash from my parents. But when uh, when mom and dad are like, you know, here's a here's a twenty, um, just just take it. My mom is like, here, take it. I have a feeling you're gonna need this twenty soon. And uh, you know, I used to look at twenty. And I used to be like, that's a lot of money. Then I started making big boy money, and I was like, I don't need your twenty, mom. But let me tell you, uh, that twenty came into handy when I. <laughs> went up to the cashier at the BP and I was like, I, I need to put this towards some gas, but let me tell you that 20 don't hit the tank as hard as it used to. And I just remember thinking, it's like, I I feel like she's just saying, Oh, you're going to need this just so she feels better. Parents will do things like that. Like your parents will give you some extra food or they'll fill up your gas tank or something. But maybe my mom could see the future. And she was like, you're going to need this 20 because it's gonna come in handy, and God did it. Um, about uh, a few hours after that, um, I was taking some like rainy day cash, and I was looking at everything. The stock market was continuing to burn. I feel like each time I put money towards anything, even you know well-performing stocks, it's just like I'm setting cash on fire. The amount of losses that I have taken in terms of paper value are a lot like uh, many of yours out there where everyone is seeing red. The only things that I'm putting uh, money towards that seem to be doing all right are precious metals, but that's only because of how we're doing. It's a reflection of the overall economy. It's not a reflection of precious metals, but some gold bugs and silver aficionados might argue that this is the time, but that's a neither here nor there conversation. Um, there's this, there's another gas station like right around from my apartment and they have one of those rocket 
uh, crypto ATMs. So I went ahead and I went over there because I wanted to convert some paper into some crypto. And everyone, lo- everyone in the BP looked at me as if I was mugging the place because apparently the, the Indian dude that works there every day, he's like, I've never seen people use it. But uh, I, I did that, so apparently I broke the curse. And as I heard one person choke, obviously it's getting bad when people are getting into that magic internet money stuff. But, um, you know, fast, uh, fast forward a couple hours, I went to jiu-jitsu for the first time this week since I've been back. Uh, I've been extremely busy, but I wanted to try and get a class in, at least for the week, just to, j- just to go and be seen and get, get some mat time in. And... Uh, in jiu-jitsu, you've got the gi, which is your traditional kimono type of uniform. And then, you, you know, you've got no gi, which is like, you know, shorts and spandex. And, you know, it looks more like what the guys in the UFC will will wear and stuff like that. So I don't typically go to the no gi grappling classes, but um, for me, be well-rounded and to try. It, it's, it's good to go to those things. And, you know, when, when you're in the gi... You've got a lot more, you know, like material to work with. You could choke people with their collars. You've got more grab onto because it's supposed to simulate, you know, the looseness of civilian clothes because nobody, no, nobody's ever going to, you know, like attack you nearly bare naked. And if they do, I hope you don't have to grapple them. I hope you can shoot them. But uh, anyway, so at, at this class, we had this, this new kid show up. And um, he was just watching, and eventually one of the higher belts was like, hey, man, how about you come and try? And it's always very intimidating because, uh, in, at least in my, in my affiliation, um, our jiu-jitsu academy, you roll on day one. And you roll basically every class except, like, the one Sunday fundamentals class where you just work on, like, one or two moves the entire time. That's supposed to be the more laid-back one. So, I mean, I remember how, how it was for me. I was just getting my ass kicked. I puked in the corner. I blacked out in my car. Good times. feels like a million years ago. But it was only like six, seven months ago. But anyway, uh, this kid comes on the mat. And um, I didn't notice this, but he, he apparently lives in town. He skateboarded all the way from his high school to where we were having class. And it was, it was cold. Like, it was really freaking cold. He skateboarded all the way there, and I guess he fell at one point because there was just, like, this giant gash on his left hand. I I almost didn't want to roll with him because I was afraid of getting some type of infection. I straight up told him, it's like, if you don't, if you don't feel comfortable with that, you should probably just, you know, like, sit back and watch. But I was like, here, I'll, I'll let you roll with me. And even though I'm, I'm no uh, grandmaster or anything, like, I know a thing or two compared to people that don't know jiu-jitsu. So immediately, what does this kid do? He, he lunges after me. He gets on top of me. I, I pull him into my guard, which is when you wrap your legs around somebody and you pull them close so that way you can maybe get a choke in or something or try and get in a position to pull submission. And this kid is just like, he's, he, he, he knows he can't strike. He knows that it is a grappling martial art. So he is just like moving his hands everywhere and he's trying to grab me, but he's not really doing anything. It's like he's getting into a fight with a kid on a playground and he's just like flailing. So I'm, I just, I'm covering my face and honestly, like this kid's breathing heavy. He's moving fast. I can immediately tell it's like he has no clue what he's doing. I know that because he was doing like the exact same thing 
I did and what anyone else does when they do jujitsu. Their big thing is overpower the person and move really fast, and maybe somehow something will work miraculously. And it never does. And even though this kid has the side of, um, you know, youth in his corner and he's he seems athletic compared to me, who's older and not, um, I knew how to basically, like, take him apart. But at one point, as he's, like, lunging his hands towards my face, he actually cut my lip with his thumb in, in, with the hand that has, like, the ugly gash on it. And immediately I'm just thinking, oh, I've got, like, hepatitis or some shit. No, it, it's fine. I don't even have a fat lip, but now I've got like this cut that's kind of noticeable if you know about it. And I just watched the Batman in theaters where Colin Farrell looks unrecognizable, but his penguin in the movie has like this giant ugly scar across his face. So even though mine is nothing like it, I, I just keep kind of thinking about that right now. But as the whole day kind of wrapped up and I saw, you know, the, the kid leave and, you know, his ego's a little bit bruised because he lost to the the older dude and stuff like that, who's like not in shape and all that stuff. And a few other people, um, you know, I saw that he had the skateboard back and, uh, I hope he, I hope he continues. I hope he starts. I hope he pursues jujitsu because I could tell he's a fighter and I could tell he really wanted to be there because if you're willing to skateboard from one end of town to the other in the cold like that, and you still rolled with all these strange dudes wrestling each other, with a gash on your hand, you, you've got a fighter's spirit. And uh, he wasn't going to let anything get in the way of him showing up tonight, and he, he, you know, that night, and he tried his best. And, and what it got me thinking was people don't often have to really fight for anything. Even though we were in a classroom environment, there was no, like, there was no real fight. It was just practice sparring, fighting, he he fought as if, it, you know, things really depended on him. Like, you know, it was a life or death situation. And, you know, that that's one of those things where it's like, it's really hard to remain calm when somebody is trying to force you into something against your will and inflict pain on you. And that's the thing that I've had to learn about jujitsu, which is how to remain calm and how to breathe and how not to panic in extremely tough situations. And, um, you know, that, that night, uh, I got one of, one of my first taps from another opponent in a while because I had his legs crossed under mine. And I was sitting basically on his ankle. And if I had leaned to the left in order to grab his arm and pull him towards me and try and get him in a choke, I could have potentially snapped his ankle. And I noticed that because with the way we were going, that's where it would have gone. So I, I paused. And I was like, Hey man, like, I'm afraid that where we're at right now, I'm going to snap your ankle. And he looked down and he was like, oh, yeah, if you move an inch, you're going to break it. And uh, he he tapped. So it wasn't like, you know, in the moment he was like, tap, 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 tap. He was like, oh, hey, like, oh, yeah, this this won't this won't work out well. Like I, you know, it's like in, in a moving chess when, you know, the guy's about to checkmate you and you're just like, I give up. It was one of those situations. So it wasn't the tap that, you know, is the most glorious, but it was one of the situations where it's like, hey, brother. <laughs> I don't want I don't want to win just to have you have a broken ankle because of a session during class. Like that's not it's not a win for me and it's not a worthy loss for you. And, and I think with with all of that that afternoon it, it it really got me thinking it's like you know what what is the risk of fighting? What is the risk 
that gets involved with um, being in a situation where somebody has to win, where somebody has to lose. In that kid's mind, when he was rolling with me, his 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 mindset wasn't, I want to learn jujitsu from this guy. His mindset was, I'm about to fight this guy, I need to win. And, um, you know, with everything going on that day and with everything going on this past month, it, it's made me really think, it's like, you know, what, what is the cost of what we do? I don't think anyone thought that we would see, you know, nation-on-nation, state-on-state warfare in the year 2022 but when you go to war, there are consequences. And the reason why we talk about finance so much, the reason why I even got back into martial arts in 2021, the reason why we talk about the things we do, that we think about the way we think th- about things, if that makes sense, I'm all fumbling my words here. Um, it was public schooled. The education missed me. But, uh, you know, why do we do the things we do? We, we do the things we do so that way when the tough situations come, when life is pressuring us and when we're afraid of where the next day will go, we're prepared and we're not going to react to things the same way that other people who were not prepared and were not ready will react, which is impulsive, which is frantic, which is irrational and based purely on their emotions. It's so that way when we can strike and when we can go ahead and actually take some action, it means something. And uh, there's an article from fortune.com that is the exact definition of preparing your life so that when you go to war, it fucking means something. And uh, this is... This is a wild, wild article. Let me go ahead and pull it up here. Um, This is from fortune.com. I'll include the link in the show notes so you can read it. The man who put a one million bounty on Putin believes the dictators in her circle will turn on him. First off, one million dollars is like that $20 bill in a tank of gas right now. It doesn't hit as hard as it used to. If anything, it kind of reminded me of that scene from from Austin Powers where Dr. Evil has like the world hostage and all the world leaders are like, what do you want, Dr. Evil? And he's like, I want $1 million. Dun, dun, dun. And everyone just starts laughing at him. And his aide comes over. He's like, sir, you see, because of inflation and everything else, $1 million isn't like what it used to be in the 70s. So you want like, you know, $1 billion or something like that. So when he says a billion, then they freak out. But um, talk about the balls on somebody to put a bounty on a freaking world world leader. Take the fact that a million dollars ain't ain't like a million dollars used to be, um, you know, in terms of like, you know, f- geopolitical politics and committing a potential criminal action, stuff like that. Think about the ability to basically say, I'm willing to end a war right now. I'm going to put my money on the line, potentially bring financial risk to myself, potentially put a target on my back because I can. That's pretty fucking cool. 
Uh, the article reads, a Russian entrepreneur offered a one million bounty for the arrest of Pre- Russian President Vladimir Putin. Says he posted the reward because he wants to solidify Putin's public public image as a war criminal. I did it because I want to contribute to the change of perception of Putin from an unquestionable ruler to somebody who is perceived by Russians as a criminal and an illegitimate president who is essentially an usurper of power. Alex uh, Kanakam, I can't pronounce it. A- A- Alex Alex Kanakam, I'm not saying I'm not just fucking up his name. I like I I legit can't pronounce it. Uh, CEO of the software company Transparent Business told Fortune. Now, because of Russia's invasion of Ukraine, Kanakam. Uh, let's just go with that for now. We'll call him Alex. Alex says Putin's allies will turn their backs on him. Oligarchs used to be strong supporters of Putin for one very simple reason. He was good for business, Alex said. Now Putin is bad for business. Oligarchs particularly are trying to hide their assets. Their yachts are getting seized. They're trying to distance themselves from Putin to such a degree that everyone knows they're no longer friends. On Wednesday, Roman... Abramovich, a Russian billionaire who is known to be close to Putin, announced that he would sell his Chelsea soccer team and pledge to give the proceeds to victims of the Ukrainian war. It was a clear sign of the turning tides, according to Alex. In less than a week, the Russian oligarchs are no longer friends with Putin, and Putin realizes it quite well because he's not stupid. Uh, Can I, Kim, Alex told Fortune... Putin will be left alone as his fair-weather friends abandon him, according to Alex, who said it took a mere week for war, a a mere week of war, a a mere week of war. I'm not going to edit this out. you got to live with this with me. Live in the moment. Um, Who said it took a mere week of war for oligarchs to begin distancing themselves from the Russian president. Putin's power is based on encouraging fear from other people. And if he starts looking like a loser, instead of an invincible and powerful leader, he will lose power very fast, Alex told Fortune. It's not just the Russian elite who are separating themselves from Putin. He's also facing criticism from the children of oligarchs and officials who are protesting the Russian invasion of Ukraine on social media. Huh? Maybe the TikTok stars are doing something. Um, Alex said he truly hopes that Putin will be captured and that he would be happy to pay a $1 million Dollar bounty to an officer who would execute his constitutional. I I got. I almost got ahead of myself. I thought I was going to say execute him, finish him. Um, officer who would execute his constitutional duty and arrest Putin. It would give me a lot of pleasure for the chance to pay a reward for an officer for seizing Putin. Alex said, "I would be just delighted, but I'm not naive." I realize that it's not, an e- it's not as easy as creating a posting and two days later somebody knocks on the door holding Putin in a bag on his, on his head. Um, I understand that. Alex started his career by building a bank from scratch in Russia during communist rule and moving to the U.S. He became an entrepreneur and a CEO of Transparent Business as well as the executive producer of the Unicorn Hunters television show which revolves around investment and business. He is comfortable expressing his dissent on social media because he currently lives in California rather than in Russia, where Putin has eliminated free media by criminalizing dissent. Putin has an army of, quote, trolls who police social media, end quote, 
and look to punish users who create critical posts about the Russian government, according to Alex. In Russia, people get jail sentences, not just for posting something political against the government, but even for liking something on social media, Alex said. People go to jail just for hitting the like button. So yeah, California is much more friendly for self-expression. Alex claims that one of his relatives in Russia shared his Facebook post that disparaged Putin as a war criminal and is now and now risks arrest and prosecution. I told my family member to leave the country immediately because he could get a long prison sentence for the post, he said. And that ends the article. But just think about it. This man built a fucking bank. A bank. When Russia was still the Soviet Union. And then it came to the United States, expanded his business, became somebody of such wealth and influence that he could be anywhere in the world and he chose to live in California, which I know the California jokes will come here and there, but if you're rich, California don't bother you. And he is putting a bounty of $1 million on the head of the president of his own country. There, there was a situation this week. I'm not, I'm not going to get into too many details. I know I talk a big game, but there's a situation this week where I had kind of a, a crisis moment where even though I've achieved more freedom in my life than I had in previous years, it reminded me just how constricted I am in some ways. And as I began to identify that, and as I began to see that I had less options on a certain matter than I thought I did, it it freaked me out. And now I'm trying to fix that. And I don't know how long it will take. I don't know what effort it will take on my end. I just know that I'm trying to identify ways to fix a situation that, not to get into too much detail, may, may be a matter of life or death. Some things are out of my control, but, you know, it's, it's a situation of being able to provide some comfort to myself and others and not, and just feeling like I am helpless, just feeling like I can't do anything. Even if I can't, I should at least try, but the thing is I, I, I don't even have the freedom to do that. And a few months ago, I had an episode called No Time to Die. That was in November of 2021, where I, I, I brought up a, a, a situation where I asked, how many days, how many actual days do you think you have left with your loved ones? And if you need to take a few months off to go you know, help them through something difficult, could you do that? And I find myself in a very similar situation. At the time, I thought I could do that, but now I'm, in a, now, I'm, now I'm facing a circumstance where that exact same question is being posed to me, and the answer is I can't. I'm making some accommodations. I don't think I'm doing nothing. I'm, I'm trying to, like, I have more leverage than some people, but it's still not enough. The world is not enough in some cases. And it's a very vulnerable feeling. But I went ahead and reached out to a friend. And I'm, I'm not going to say who it is because I didn't, I didn't get her permission to talk about it. But I, I was uh, trying to seek some advice from somebody I really respect. And I said, 
um, you know, I'm, I'm really stressed right now. I'm trying to do everything I can. I've already taken some verifiable steps and, uh, I'm, I'm working really hard to try and get some stuff out of the way so I have more time to think and act on this. And um, she said, you definitely have more ability and skills and opportunities than most people. You should be able to solve this fast. I'm sorry about what you're going through. And I said, thanks. Um, I've, I've gone through tough things before and I'll get through this again. And she said, you're a guy that takes advantage of situations instead of sitting with self-pity. You will succeed. And... Um, you know, there's a person I really respect and there's a person who is actively helping me get through the situation. But it's a, it's a moment where because I know what I need to do, I'm taking the steps towards it. And it's a challenge, but I'm, I'm going to get through it because I know many people who, if faced with the same situation I'm in, would crumble, would not do anything but wallow in self-pity. And, you know, that, that, that's all she wrote. One of the things that this moment did was it did it did force me to confront fear. It did force me to take actions on things that otherwise I, I was avoiding. One of them is making a a big business connection. Um, as many of you remember a few weeks ago, I talked about investing in a local business and why I did that. And... Um, one of the individuals who's part of this is somebody who I've wanted to get some face time with, but otherwise would not have had the opportunity to if I had not been also an investor. And I'd been talking to my fiance and I was like, you know, I want to meet this person and you know, we've got a we've got an investors meeting coming up in a couple of weeks. It's a happy hour and I think I'm going to go introduce myself then because I want to I want to learn from this person. I want this person to be my mentor. And long story short, I missed it because I was traveling for work and I wasn't back in time. And I was just telling myself, you know, maybe I'll email him, maybe I'll text him, maybe I'll do something. And it got to the point where I was like, you know, it'll be a waste of time. It's not worth it. I'm not, you know, I'm not in a situation where I, I can really offer much. I'm, I'm, I was nervous. And then this, this thing happens that I've been kind of dancing around. And as it forced me to really assess what I can and can't do, I realized that one thing that would probably help me is if I could go talk to this person. He's probably been through a lot of the same situations that I've been in. He's an entrepreneur. He's extremely successful. He's the type of person you want to have in your network. So I thought, even though, you know, he's polite to everybody, I thought, you know, maybe if I ask him out to lunch and I ask him to, you know, answer some questions of mine, maybe he'll say no because I'm just such a small fish in a big pond and yeah, I'm getting into the, into the investor game with stuff, but I'm still a novice and so many things. He's not going to waste his time with me. Well, I emailed him and he said yes, almost immediately. And at the time of recording, I haven't sat down with him yet, but we, we already have a day and a location set aside and I'm going to pay for lunch and ask some questions and hopefully he'll be generous enough to give me some straight answers on some things. But this goes back to a, a, a bigger point, which is when you're like that, that kid who came to jujitsu the other day, when you don't know what you're doing, you're going to put up a big game. You're going to put up a big show 
and your whole goal is not to lose. But in, in many ways, by doing things that you know will probably not help you, what you do is you open yourself up to retaliation. To, you know, you expose your vulnerabilities. I had that kid choke several times, and I would tell him, it's like, listen, each time you do this, it allows me to do this. You know, jiu-jitsu is the, art, the, the martial art in which you close and constrict space. And he's opening himself up with his arms and everything. And I'm just like, look what I could do. I'm not even hesitating. I'm, you know, this is not, this is not a real fight for me. If I want to, you know, make you black out, I could easily do it. But it's not fair because it's your first night. That's a lot of us. How many times do we know we're about to go into something but we avoid it? An economic crisis a lockdown, things that are obviously more ridiculous than even our wildest dreams, but we know they could happen. I went to Cabela's a couple of weeks ago and I bought the last two boxes of emergency food supplies. Something I probably should have done a while ago, but I was like, you know, it's about time I do it. And, and thankfully, a lot of other people took the same message from what was happening and they themselves realized it's like, I would rather be the person with the food supplies that I'll never need than the person without when I need them. And, uh, you know, it's, it's one of the situations where it's like, you know, you, you have to be smart. You have to be willing to take those choices and assess which one is better for you and do what's best. I, uh, I was on the Chris Bangle show with, with a guest who is very active in the Libertarian Party. And, you know, I, I guess I was kind of rude. I'll admit to that. I kind of rolled my eyes when he talked about everything he was doing because I was, as I, you know, as I was caught because it was on camera, Chris was like, Gremsel, you rolled your eyes. How about you tell him what you're thinking about? I was like, I think that's a losing fight, man. You know the rules are pitted against you. You know that it's not going to actually do anything for anybody. You're talking about small people taking on one of the biggest governments in all of history and you think the only way to guarantee more freedom in your life is to go ahead and fight this losing fight. Whereas if you do certain things like follow the entrepreneurial path that we take here, you can not only guarantee more freedom for yourself, but you can provide opportunities for others. How many charities have on-the-run listeners helped fully fund? How many of your lives have been positively impacted by the knowledge you've taken from this show and other resources that you feel that you know because you can go to sleep at night, because you can pay your bills, because you have opportunities you wouldn't have other ha you otherwise had, opportunities that no party or politician is ever going to give you? Why fight something you know you're going to lose? Libertarians have accomplished nothing. That kid jumped in with all the gusto, putting on a show, if you didn't know what to look for. He probably knew that he was going to lose, but he still put his heart into it. And ultimately, because I train, because I've been doing this, because I know what to look for, because I prepare to go up against somebody who has no clue what they're doing, but is willing to inflict pain, it's a different situation. You train to win. Yeah, you're going to die another day, but you live to die another day. The live part matters. Another thing that came up was um, on Twitter, I had been saying each time something bad came out of the 
uh, Ukrainian situation, I said, you know what, guys? It's time to buy that Raytheon. Time to buy Booz Allen, Hamilton, Lockheed, and you know some some very good folks who I really respect were kind of disgusted by those comments. It's like, oh, that's war profiteering. Oh, I could never be part of that. It's blood money. I'm I'm divesting all my money from this evil stock market. I'm going into gold and Bitcoin. And um, yeah, more power to you. That's that's your choice. But um, you know, I, I pose a question to you. The the defense industry is basically a branch of the government. They're never going away. They make an insane amount of money for their shareholders, who are, in some cases, good people, apathetic people, bad people. I don't know who your general Booz Allen Hamilton or Lockheed Martin investor is. But what I do know is that there are some bad people, and they're making money from conflict, and they're profiting from that, and they're putting it towards other things that I probably don't like either. If you could take that money and you could invest in yourself, but you could also invest in others so that way you have more opportunities to protect what you care about most and also give back to your community, is that wrong? It's almost like the Oscar Schindler question. Was Schindler wrong for partying with Nazis and for you know, not completely uh, shutting down his factory? Was he wrong? You know, would it have been better if he had left Nazi Germany and gone to the U.S. and gone on a speaking tour and, you know, published a book talking about how bad Hitler was and all this other stuff? Would it have been better for him to have just done that? Or was what he did by keeping up the image of being a Nazi sympathizer and keeping his factory open so that way he could provide opportunities for people to work in his factory instead of being taken to the camp so that way he could then use all his money to get them out of Germany to save as many Jewish lives as possible. Was that wrong? I don't think the survivors and their children and grandchildren think that's wrong. I think they're happy that Oscar Schindler made the hard choice made the difficult choices so that they could live, not just so that he could go out and, you know, sing the truth to his heart's desire overseas and not help anyone else. Oscar Schindler died a poor man. I don't think many people know that. He died a poor man. But he was able to save thousands of people He was able to bring to life people who would otherwise never be born because he was a rich man. He was an influential man. He was a smart man and a capable man. I would rather be an Oscar Schindler any day of the week than somebody just putting a banner over their Facebook profile picture saying that they're already against the next bad thing. You can criticize me all you want, but... That's where I see the real results. I don't know if anyone's going to take up that Russian billionaire on his million-dollar Putin hit job, but, man, I'd rather be him than somebody who couldn't have that opportunity. And speaking of opportunities, you've probably seen it on my Instagram stories. 
and over on Twitter, I've been posting links to this online school. It's called Hustlers University 2.0. It's run by former kickboxing world champion Andrew Tate and a group of other professors who teach you everything from copywriting to freelancing to how to start a business to crypto to affiliate marketing, all the skills you need to generate a real active and passive stream of income. So that way you can go ahead and push yourself closer to financial freedom. So that way you have more opportunities in your life. That way you have more options in your life. That way you can, you can thrive instead of just surviving in the days we're in. And really think about it. What can an extra $500 a month do for you? I'm not just talking about this thing because it looks cool and, you know, I get kickbacks and stuff like that. I'm a student. I, I pay monthly <laughs> to be part of this. I've been in Hustlers University 2.0 since November of 2021. And let me tell you, if this existed when I started freelancing in 2016, my life would be very different because I already thought I was successful with my side incomes and everything before I signed up for Hustlers University 2.0. You know what it's like now? It's night and day. I was a slacker compared to the person I am now because I have better resources, a better network, and I'm actually getting taught from people that have done the things that they're talking about. This is what I wish I could gift myself when I had no options and no mentors and I was just frantically trying to go through libraries and bookstores and YouTube videos and online courses trying to find the right thing. These are the best things that work all in one place. And if you're trying to become a freer version of yourself, I can't think of a better way to invest in yourself for as low as 49 bucks a month. This will pay for itself once you actually start taking a few of the classes. The copywriting course was the one that I learned a ton from, and I had already been copywriting for seven years. There's always more you can learn. There are people who never freelanced, who are making life-changing amounts of money. People are able to quit their jobs now because their side income, over, over, their side income surpassed their earned income from their regular jobs. I've got a link in the show notes. This isn't about me. This is about you. I'm a student. I'm in there. I, I genuinely believe in this. It's making a change in my life, and I hope it can, make, it can make a change in yours. Join Hustlers University today in the show notes below. Otherwise, I'll be here in a couple of days, hopefully bringing some laughs and some values to your life. I hope you enjoyed listening to a little bit of mine as much as I enjoy laughing at sometimes. I'm Rob W. Martinez. Be safe, be good. Good night.